You are listening to the Charles Bonnet Syndrome podcast. My name is Shaman Foy. I'm here with my co-host, Eva Potts. This is episode 10. And today we have a special guest, Dave Hummel. Dave is a caregiver and a family member for someone who has Charles Bonnet. And we're so glad to have you with us today, Dave. Thanks for having me. Can you talk a little bit about the process of your mother with our visual impairment, what she actually has and what that process has been like over the years? Sure. Um, so she says she was born with a cataract in her left eye. Um, and in the eighties she had surgery on that. So that would have been in her fifties, I guess. And then around age 13, she was diagnosed with macular degeneration. And, uh, so she's had MD for 70 years or so. Uh, so those two things combined all the way up until now at her age of 86, um, you know, they've had a lot of time to have a lot of effect on her. She's legally blind. Uh, she has some kind of letter from her doctor saying that, and she can't do a lot of things that sighted people can do. Okay. I know this could be skipping ahead, but you, we were gracious enough to have your mother on. So she, she did share a little bit of her story. So we can skip ahead a little bit. And can you tell me when you first started having signs that there was something maybe wrong with your mother as far as hallucinations and, and the whole Charles Bonnet and how you came to understand what was going on? Yeah, it was, I'm not sure exactly when, but it was either late 2021 or maybe early 2022 that she began to tell my sister and I stories about these visions that she had. And uh, they weren't hallucinations of a kind that my sister or I had ever heard of before, uh, or like you might see in a, in a movie. They were they were uh, vivid. She would paint stories about these visions, like she she was seeing strange people in her house and they were doing things or whatever. But they uh, but silent, like silent movies. There were no sounds. But she had quite a variety of stories, and, and that in itself isn't surprising to us um, because that's how our mother is. She's quite the storyteller, and uh, she'll go on and on for quite some time, which is one reason why we struggled to understand what on earth she was talking about. We, we thought maybe this was a new form of her just loving to tell stories. And so after a while, we realized, no, this is new. Something new is going on here. This isn't just mom telling stories. She really is seeing things. And as odd as some of these stories sound, we can't figure out why she would see some of the weird things she's describing. Um, but it started to get quite a lot worse as 2022 progressed to the extent that it seemed like that's all she could talk about. And all we heard from her that was happening in her day, she couldn't have a regular conversation with us in terms of, you know, asking how our kids are or talking about the news or, or anything in a normal conversation. It was 100% always about these visions and the stories that she tells about them. And she has uh, several other medical issues that when you put them all together, she she has trouble walking, she has trouble seeing, uh, she has trouble hearing, so she, she needs a lot of help doing basic things day in and day out. And uh, in 2022, she took a fall, injured herself, and had to go to a rehab 
which we should talk about in a minute. And I came back, but was still struggling with the visions, even though the rehab was effective for what it needed to do. The visions were still so intense that my sister and I felt like we needed to get her to a nursing home where she would have 24-7 monitoring for her safety. Um, and as 2022 wound down and 2023 started is when we became aware of uh, the Charles Benet syndrome. Uh, I think mainly it, it came from some doctor who consulted with her who also worked at the School for the Blind in Louisville. And he knew of Charles Benet, so he told us about that. And of course, my sister and I started Googling and reading, and we we came across uh, Dr. Gary Cusick and, and you guys running the support groups and, and got linked up and getting educated on just exactly what this was, was a huge turnaround for us um, because no longer were we alone and we all began to understand what exactly was happening with her. And, and she herself, of course, once she learned about this, she was able to calm down some and start focusing on what can I do to make this better and to deal with it. Well, you're very fortunate to have someone that was familiar with this condition and tell your mother about it for them to be able to let you know that it is potentially Charles Monet and then you and your sister being able to actually do the research to dig more into the into that because for me as a caregiver and for many other people as a caregiver, that wasn't an option. Even if our loved one went to the doctor, they were unfamiliar with the condition, so it was all Google searches for us. So that to me, that that is um, that is a benefit. But can you tell me and Eva a little bit about the process from when your mother first started telling you and your sister about these hallucinations to the point where you actually found out what the condition is and, and how were you dealing with that when you didn't know what it was and how to help your mother? Well, probably like most anyone else would do when you start learning and reading about something, uh, we learned that lighting uh, might be an important thing, meaning uh, a lack of a lack of seeing is is a common a attribute that people suffering CBS share. They they have you know cataracts or MD or they're totally blind, or various levels of sight impairments, um, but it's the lack of sight that apparently is causing their brains to create replacement visions since the eyes aren't giving it any visions to, to work with. And knowing that um, enabled us to have discussions with her about, okay, so we know it's not real. You know, it's not real. Now the problem is just for you to keep reminding yourself as much as you can until you're at least not reacting to it. Like, you know, if you, if you saw something that you thought was threatening, you, you just remind yourself it's not real. You shouldn't feel afraid because there's nothing there threatening you and, and so on. Um, and of course, a lot of this is over the phone because you never know when visions are going to strike or occur. Um, my sister does live in Louisville, but not all that close by. So a lot of this is over the phone kinds of things. And then we would talk about other tactical things that we could try, such as increasing the lighting in, in her apartment so that there's not another catalyst, perhaps, that causes visions. It may not be the same for everyone, but 
um, some of the medical community seem to be thinking that being in more well-lit areas will reduce your visions because then your brain um, is receiving some kind of imaging and your brain isn't going to tend to want to make some up for the lack thereof. Uh, however, in our case, our mother has some very um, stubborn tendencies and she dislikes bright lights because of the condition of her eyes. She says it's painful. And we know she's been saying that for a number of years anyway. She's not making that up. But she's choosing to keep herself in a, a rather dimly lit place um, because she doesn't like the, the painful experience of bright lights. And she doesn't seem to either get or agree with the, the notion that being in that dimly lit place may be causing more of the CBS episodes than, than uh, need to be caused. So that's just a theory, and we haven't been able to test it. Hopefully other people will learn about this particular aspect, and they can test it out and see if it helps them. <clears throat> Dave, we just had another podcast with an individual uh, in our support group, Theo Blue, and the light was very um, disruptive in his, light as, in his life as well because of the glaucoma. He has found that wearing the, and I don't know if this would work for your mother or not, but he began wearing those yellow glasses that are designed for people who have trouble driving at night. Uh -huh. And it seems to have helped him um, significantly in his daily, um, daily activities of living. He, as a matter of fact, he's made it part of his... Um, daily routine to make sure he puts those glasses on and he has found relief in wearing them. Uh, it's, it's an idea. Uh, again, we're not doctors or, or medical professionals or eye doctors, but there's someone, uh, if you listen to his podcast, when, when we get it um, on the air, it's interesting that he, that he found that um, to work for him. <clears throat> But, but I wanted to ask you a question before we go too much further. I, I don't want to forget about this. And so your mother was diagnosed with MD at 13. That's that is amazing. Um, not amazing, but amazing to me that, you know, considering <clears throat> that long ago, not many people that age were diagnosed with MD. I don't think it wasn't that prevalent of a diagnosis for younger people from what I'm gathering from what I've read and I could be completely wrong, but she also told us that she was an avid storyteller when she was younger. Do you think that maybe she's experienced Charles Benet most of her life and it just became more prevalent? Or is this something that you definitely saw a shift in her behaviors and her, <clears throat> um, what she reported seeing? Because it's interesting that she's had low vision most of her life. Um, I'm just curious, do you think that this may have been something she dealt with before or is that just reaching? It's an interesting question. I think several possibilities come into play here. One is that she's frank, flat out not remembering correctly when exactly she was diagnosed with it. It could have been later in life to some extent. Um, I don't remember any stories from our prior times in life of visions. I don't remember any of her storytelling 
including fantastical things um, in, in any way, shape, or form similar to what has been going on with CBS in the past few years. So I'm inclined to think, no, uh, she, she's, mm-hmm. she's just a storyteller. She loves to do it. I don't know if it's mm-hmm. a center of attention thing or, or what it is. I mean, she was a square dance caller for a long time, too, so she kind of likes to have people dancing around, <laughs> so to speak, <laughs> entertainer c- complex, mm-hmm. if you will. Um, but I, I just, I don't, I don't recall any indicators or evidence of her really having CBS-like um, episodes in the past. Okay, well, thank you for for even uh, going back and entertaining that that notion. I just, it's interesting. The more we learn about an individual, the more you know we hear about their past and what they've been dealing with. It, it's interesting how they've maybe have lived with it longer than we realized. Uh, I found, you know, discovered after spending um, a long time with my mother when she moved in with my husband and I, that my husband and me is that she was dealing with this so much longer before she reported it. And she was afraid to tell us. And when she mm. realized that she wasn't crazy or mentally ill, and it made me so sad to know that she lived in that isolation as long as she did. Yeah. Um, so I was just kind of curious if, if maybe, you know, because my mother was a, a storyteller as well. But she also was a writer and um, she loved to journal. She wrote poetry, children's books. I mean, she's she had quite the imagination, as it seems your mother does as well. Yeah. And before I forget, um, was it Theo who you said had that idea about the, the amber glasses? Yes. Yes, sir. Did, did he describe whether he was just doing that PRN for when episodes occur, or is he trying to do it um, steadily throughout the day to prevent? Uh, Shaman, if I remember correctly, he, he was putting them on throughout the day. Yeah, yeah. It was a consistent thing because it helps him, he said, uh, kind of like normalize uh, things because the bright lights help his, uh, hurt his glaucoma. And he also said by doing that, somehow, some way, he explained it more better than I'm doing now, but he said it helps with the uh, hallucinations because it can help him kind of differentiate things uh, with with that uh, with that yellow tint in the glasses. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It'd be good to check out the episode once we release it uh, very soon. And the same thing came to my mind too, but uh, Eva actually spoke about it before I did. And it's interesting because I've been in this Charles Monet space for years as a caregiver, sitting in groups and going to like seminars and reading books and stuff. And I had never heard that uh, particular tactic or advice for dealing with with Charles Monet. So it's really interesting. There's always so much to learn and everybody's situation is a little bit different. Well, certainly worth trying, not hard to try. Yeah, I'm curious. So. You obviously work with your sister and probably other family members to support your mother. What are some tips that you guys can give other caregivers or some things that you've done? One thing in particular, I would like you to speak a little bit about the fact, because you said you live in another state, but you still do support your mother and help her virtually, which is very interesting. So I would like you maybe to elaborate on that. But in general, what are some tips that you can give or some things that you've done to kind of help? Uh, your mother and and the whole family with this situation. Okay. Um, well, first of all, to circle back to um, the aspect of her having been in a rehab before I forget to mention that, that was just to, to uh, corroborate once more 
the difference in bright lighting or not. When uh, she fell and had to go to rehab, it was at least a month. It might have been two or more months. But when she had to go there, she, of course, was in a facility, a well-lit facility um, with lots of people. And she only had one episode the entire stay. And she was ecstatic about that. So this isn't just me thinking that happened. That's what she told us. And, of course, we visited with her and and heard her saying that. Um, So it seems pretty obvious to corroborate and confirm that for some people, uh, being in well-lit areas could prevent or, or reduce uh, the amount of CBS visions. Um, but other things that we've tried to explore uh, with her is, is medication. Um, she's had some challenges with sleeping well in, in recent times, <clears throat> and so she's got a medication to try to help with that. Um, she, she was somewhat depressive for a few different periods um, because of what this this CBS was doing to her, how it made her feel. You know, she's already a bit of a shut-in. I'm, I'm not saying she can't get out. She does get out sometimes. Um, but by and large, if you think of the whole list of things that I've described that she suffers, she can't just get up and go anytime she wants. So she's pretty much shut in that dark place quite a lot and so easily susceptible to to being depressive and <clears throat> we thought and i think we read that your mental state can help you avoid um cbs visions just a little bit unless you're maybe just sitting around feel, feeling depressed and, and you're in a dark place and your mind and your brain are more susceptible to creating the images and reacting to them <clears throat> So, you know, just partnering with her to talk with all her medical professionals, making sure that they're receiving all the information they possibly could get so that they make good decisions for her to try. Um, on the other aspect that you mentioned where I help her from another state, it's really not CBS specific so much as it is um, any sight impaired person can use extra help. Um, although I suppose people listening to this specifically because of CBS, maybe that's new. Um, we, we use some software that I can use to control my mom's computer from another state or, well, from anywhere in the world, really. It's called, uh, the one I use is called Remote PC. There's a few different versions of remote control software, so it doesn't have to be that. But what it lets me do is just be the keyboard for her. I can literally connect her computer, see what's on it, operate it, and run things for her. Uh, So, for example, the weekly um, support group that we go to for CBS that all of us are a part of, I connect her to it. I put it on her computer. It's scheduled on her calendar. Every week when it's time for that call, I I get on there and I I click it up and open it for her. And uh, the same thing for lots of routine tasks, not just attending a weekly meeting, but like doing her bills. I can log into her account from there. Um, Can't think of what else I'm doing on the computer, but that Uh, used to be that she would enjoy picture shows. So I was arranging that for her, but now she can't stare at a computer screen for very long. 
That's interesting. We're learning a lot today because I, didn't, I never heard of remote PC. So thanks for sharing that. And some people that are listening are going to be able to research that and see if it will be a solution for them. Because most people with Chip Charles Bonet are older because as you get older, our vision decreases and, and conditions start happening. So just being older in general, people need a little bit of help with technology. So something like remote PC could definitely help. And I'm sure there are other options too. Well, let me so, add let me add to that just a little bit um, because she also has rheumatoid arthritis of, of many decades and so she is unable to um, manipulate things with her hands and fingers very well it's hard for her to do things in the kitchen it's very hard for her to use her phone she has an Apple iPhone um, so we've worked to make sure she doesn't have to do or to reduce how much she has to manipulate the phone. That is to say, she speaks to Siri, which if anyone listening doesn't know what that is, you can control your iPhone with voice commands. You can literally tell Siri, hey, call my neighbor, hey, call my son, or something like that. And if you have everything set up right, it'll just do it for her. And she also mm -hmm. has hearing aids that are connected to her phone via Bluetooth. Um, so she doesn't even have to hold the phone up to her ear, which for her and her hands is difficult to do. Uh, she can just leave the phone sitting on the table and speak to it as, as if it's an assistant. Hey, Siri, call, call my son, or, or what's the weather today, or you know, what's on my calendar today? And because I have access to her calendar, um, it, it will read her calendar to her, the things that I've put on it, like you have a caregiver coming at 10, or you have to be ready for a doctor's appointment tomorrow, and things like that. Um, so you can do that with, with your afflicted person's phone and, or you can also do it with their computer. I don't know if remote PC does anything on phones, but let's say for example, you have an elderly person with CBS and they need that extra help <clears throat> and they're not using a computer. Well, then maybe you get them one. Uh, laptops can be gotten pretty cheaply nowadays. And if you put a laptop in their place, that has its own camera built in like my mom's does. Um, you can literally leave it turned on in their, in their room and at any point that you need to, perhaps in a medical event, let's say, connect to it, turn it on, and turn on the camera and see if you can see what's going on with them if they're in the same room. <clears throat> and, you know, Dave, this is really enlightening because it's <clears throat> people don't even have to have Charles Binet what you're, what you're talking about here keeps people in, you know, there's inclusion, it keeps people included and they don't feel isolated or unable to communicate. I know not everyone uh, has, is tech savvy or can even afford some equipment, but for those that can, um, this is brilliant because it keeps people connected. It keeps that isolation factor away from them. And if they do have Charles Binet, it's really important that that isolation factor be dealt with. And um, what I, I'm so glad that you came on and are talking about this. I did not know this either. And um, what a, my mom always wanted to learn how to use the computer, but it would have been easier if I'd known how you know to do all of this. Um, you know, it's funny we just learn things when we're supposed to, but this is this is brilliant for people taking care of anybody who is unable to get on a computer or an iPhone. And uh, I hope that people will take this under advice and 
you know, um, listen to what you're saying and, and help their loved one, because what a great way to uh, keep them involved. Another tool I should mention is an app. So for iPhones, I, I don't know if it also works on Androids, but there's an app called Be My Eyes, as in literally Be My Eyes to look at something for me. And it's a network of volunteers who, if they have the app installed, have said, I'll volunteer to help people who can't see things. I'm signed up in this app. And then the people who can't see things but have the app on their phone, let's say, for example, my mom, she can say, hey, hey Siri, open Be My Eyes. And Siri will launch the app, and the app goes looking for the volunteers. And when one answers, um, they can just talk to each other. And she, can, she could say, hey, I'm seeing elephants on the wall. Can you tell me if they're real? And all she has to do is kind of hold the phone up facing the wall, and the people will see through her phone's camera. And they can speak back to her and tell her what they see. I'm actually a volunteer with that app. I've, I've volunteered and I've helped a few people, and I think that that is good. One thing that stands out to me about your your situation and your story is I just want to say that I go to caregivers groups for support. So most people don't have Charles Monet there. As a matter of fact, nobody does in those groups. Uh, their, their loved one has other conditions, usually dementia. But anyhow, they actually will say, is there anyone that can help you? Oh, no, my sister lives out of state. Oh, no, my brother lives here. And all. And then it just seems like the, the caregiver is on their own. But you're teaching me and probably many others that there are ways that you can be out of state and still support someone that, that uh, needs to help. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that is really good to hear that sometimes just to, to listen and think of another alternative, another, not what you can do, but how can you do it or what can be done? What are the tools that we have? What's available? Whether it's Be My Eyes, whether it's Remote PC or whatever it is. I use Google Chrome. I use Chrome Remote Desktop, but it's a lot more difficult because the person has to log in and they have to give you a code and you have to go through all of these things. But uh, it, it's helpful in certain ways. But that's what inspires me about about your story. Uh, I was curious if you could, um, if you feel comfortable, if you could talk a little bit about how your mother having Charles Monet syndrome has affected you in, in, in your life. Like, you know, how, how were you able to cope with it or not cope with it? If you could just talk from a caregiver's perspective, anything that you're comfortable sharing. Well, for us, it's, it may be different for, for many others um, experiencing it just simply because as I've described already, my mom has so many challenges going on, rheumatoid arthritis, loss of vision, loss of uh, use of her hands, and and many more uh, haven't listed <clears throat> that we are just uh, used to having to help her through so many different things. And um, CBS was just one more thing. So to others, it might be quite, quite um, stunning to them to have to face that because maybe that's the only issue their their loved one has or or they've had the sight issue only and, and not a litany of other issues um so i guess i'm saying it it didn't really affect me that much it's just you know another day on the job trying to figure out okay how do i tackle this problem and how do i help with it <clears throat> which we've already talked about i'm curious so do you have any kind of uh, advice for someone that may be a caregiver, something that may, because you said you studied, you read a lot about Charles Monet, you've sat through some groups with your mother, anything that you think may be helpful that you want to share to a, another caregiver that's listening? Just 
learn, read and learn, talk to others, go to the support group for sure. A lot of information on every single one of those calls. But it's like most challenges in life. If you don't understand what you're dealing with, you're going to have a hard time dealing with it. And it's so easy to, to look things up and read about them and call other people and discuss them. And the more you become knowledgeable and informed, the more you will realize the things you can do in your situation. And I wanted to mention, Shimon and Dave, um, I have an Android phone, and I was able to find that in my Play Store, Be My Eyes. So it is available on Android as well. Yeah, Shimon, I'm not surprised to hear you're a volunteer in that. You're such a good guy. Um, I signed up for it, but I didn't get around to um, setting it up for my mom yet because of the distance and because we've had to deal with the other issues first. But I'm looking forward to testing it some more. Yeah, and it is available. I have an Android too, so I'm I'm right there with you. Another app that's really helpful is we probably should have an episode where we just talk about apps and things like that. Maybe <laughs> me and Eva will will do that and, and just different tools that's available for people with low vision or 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 caregivers or whatever the case may be. Charles Charles Bonet. But another popular one is Seeing AI. Now that's S E E I N G AI, and it's a Microsoft app, and it was only available to my knowledge on iOS, but just about one or two months ago, it became available on Android. And it's very good because it's kind of like be, uh, being be my eyes, but it's actually AI. You don't have a volunteer. You stick it up to ta uh, you stick it up to text and it'll read the text out loud. It identifies currency and, and tells you about your surroundings. And, and another app that's good is, is called, um, it's called Google Lookout which was the, the Android version of seeing AI, but now see, seeing AI is on uh, Android too. But uh, there's so, so many tools available. Yeah, I'm going to test that one out. I've not heard of that. Well, this is good to be able to hear a different perspective because me and Eva were like experts to talk, like doctors and psychologists and researchers, PhDs. And we also want people with Charles Monet syndrome to be on this podcast of course so you can hear firsthand experiences of people that have this condition and we also would like caregivers and family members so uh it's, it's very important just to get the whole perspective because sometimes we don't all get together on the same page to hear what each other has to say so we want to rep this podcast to represent everyone uh that either has charles Monet syndrome or, or or is affected by this condition and i think that dave would agree you know, it's frustrating as a caretaker. I was a caretaker for, for my mother, my brother and I, which, you know, ignited this desire to start this nonprofit, which we feel is so important, is because there are so many, the resources are limited and you feel so, so much frustration, not only just finding information, but getting a doctor to listen to you. Um, you know, we... Every doctor we went to had no interest in even thinking about what Charles Binet was. And it was sad and disturbing. They knew it, or if they knew what it was, they didn't care uh, to say, well, you know, keep digging or, you know, all we heard was there's nothing we can do. There's nothing you can do. Just deal with it. And so, so deal with it. Well, how do you, you know, tell the person that you love and you're watching change before your eyes because they're losing their vision. You know, there's that grief factor involved there where that person is also dealing with the loss of something they've had their most of their <clears throat> lives. If you know, if that's the case, 
so having this support group, having these podcasts, having this knowledge out there, I'm not saying it's the end all or that we're providing everything that, and, and that we need to provide. And that's going to change. I hope as we become more educated, as we learn more, as more medical professionals get on board and start helping us, you know, start doing some research and help us deliver more information to the general public. I'm really looking forward to that day um, where caregivers aren't so limited in resources. Right. And actually, I'd like to add to what you just said, Eva, that um, sadly, it's true in life that some doctors don't know how to think outside the box. They're constrained by their DSM manual or or whatever it is that they're following, and they don't want to take any risks and look up something new. And so we encountered that just a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. But our family's kind of accustomed to that anyway. We have doctors in the family. So we just went on to the next one who was ready and willing to talk. And so anyone listening to this, I would just encourage them that if and when you need the medical assistance with the issue, CBS or anything else, if you're not hearing open exchange and helpful information, move on to the next doctor. I agree with you 100%, Dave. We we even switched doctors when we got mom here in Charlotte. And uh, I, I won't say his name, but a wonderful neurologist who, he didn't poo-poo Charles Benet. He said, he honestly said, I do not know enough about it to offer treatment options for your mother, but I will look into it. And then unfortunately it wasn't much longer after that, that she passed. And, uh, I truly believe that he was willing to check it out, learn more about it. And I'm not giving up on him. I'm going to, I'm going to circle back and and talk to him again. Um, it, it is that interest It's whether or not they really want to help and whether, you know, so if somebody in the medical community is listening to this, I, implore you to learn more about it to help this population because it's a lot larger than I think we're than we know and I think we're going to find out just how large it is by further research and data that we can we're going to start accumulating this is a big problem and like Dr. Cusick said a couple of times in in our support group Doctors could know more about this. They could learn more about it. They could diagnose it. They could offer treatment. There are codes that this can be billed under. So what there is what he calls lazy diagnosis. They're really not taking the time. They're not going through the assessments to eliminate other things that could be going on and then saying, ah, this might be Charles Benet. Let's take a look. And then we found this research and here we are we're not medical doctors, medical professionals. I mean, I have a background in psychology and, you know, but I'm not a doctor, but, you know, here we are caregivers that needed to find out what was going on with our loved one and look how much we know about it. Shame on the medical community for not knowing much as much as we do. I was just reading the other day that this was named, this syndrome was named for a guy whose name is Charles Bonet. But what shocked me about it was that he first observed it in 1760. Yes, it was his grandfather who had it. And Dr. Scorin from the Mayo Clinic, I don't know if you remember his support group call with us. He said, well, if you don't want to get something, don't name it after yourself. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny because Charles Benet actually ended up 
suffering from CBS before he passed, uh, according to the literature <laughs> that I'm sure you've read. Yeah. And it wasn't given a proper, it wasn't given proper recognition until 1967, but we still don't properly acknowledge it. Yeah, it just hasn't. It's one of those things that it's taking a long, long time to come to light and for awareness to spread. But it is now, and so that's a good thing. It is. Absolutely. You got to start somewhere, right? Have to start somewhere. That's so true. And everything that you guys are doing, that we're all doing, is is making a difference. So uh, we're just going to keep on doing what we're doing. Share it with people as we have an opportunity to talk to them in our daily lives and uh, family members and talk to the people we know that have it, that don't have it. And hopefully by bringing us awareness, we can we can start to bring. Hopefully it would be nice to have a cure one day, but we don't know. Maybe the cure to this, maybe the, I don't, I don't want to say there is no cure. I always have to have hope. Uh, but maybe it will be an alternative type of treatment where it's not a, a pill that you take. Maybe they'll develop some kind of a new therapy for it or or something. Or you have cognitive cognitive behavioral ther- uh, therapy, which Dr. Uh, Dr. Cusick said is listed in some literature as a treatment for Charles Bonnet syndrome. Everybody doesn't have access to that. Everybody's maybe psychologist or therapist maybe, uh, you know, doesn't practice that or do it the same way or it may not work the same for everybody, but there's a, there's a list of, of treatments, but, uh, I just know awareness is a good thing and, uh, it will help us. One of the things that we're finding as well, Shimon, is people who have sought out cognitive behavioral therapy, we're, we're hitting the same roadblocks. A lot of cognitive behavioral therapists are not learning about this in school. They're not, they don't know what Charles Binet syndrome is. Uh, again, I implore those in the field of psychology to do your homework, learn about Charles Binet, because there are a lot of people out there that need help that you could be helping. And the other roadblock as well, from what I'm hearing uh, from our support group, is those who have reached out to find a cognitive behavioral therapist, there aren't enough. They're not taking new patients. And um, that's frustrating. And it's sad to know that there's been a decline in the number of people who are willing to offer uh, CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And so for those thinking about majoring in the, you know, doing this as a study, getting your license to be a clinical psychologist or a licensed therapist, there's a whole group of people that need help. Think about it. And what a wonderful way to, to um, enrich your career. They're reaching out saying, you know, hey, we will treat those with Charles Binet syndrome, learn about it, figure out how cognitive behavioral therapy works. As a matter of fact, uh, my mother's cognitive behavioral therapist is going to be doing a future podcast with us. And that should be a pretty interesting podcast. Yeah. Um, because it did, it did help her. And um, it took a, it took a long time for mom to agree because she, oh, you know, if I get therapy, then it, there again, there's the stigma. If I talk to a therapist, that means I'm crazy. No, no, it doesn't. What cognitive behavioral therapy does is it can get to some of the root causes of some of the hallucinations or the severity of those hallucinations. Because a lot of times our subconscious, mm. when we're talking about support group today, where people almost conjure up their hallucinations by projecting what they think they're going to see and then they actually see it. Mm-hmm. Well, 
that's part of cognitive behavioral therapy as well. So you bottle all these things, you suppress these things through life. And we all know that, especially with the older population, receiving therapy was taboo. Now it's not. Um, it's cool and it's okay to do it. And it's there's no stigma attached to it any longer. Not in the general population. I can't speak for the military because I think they're still you know, battling that wall. But cognitive behavioral therapy can get to the root of what's going on with somebody, which could be exacerbating those hallucinations. And once they are able to talk about what's, what they're suppressing or what they're having anxiety over or what is bothering them, what my mother, and I can only speak from my mother's experience, when she was able to recognize why she was having these certain hallucinations and talking about the things that had happened in her past, she was able to put some of those hallucinations to rest. It was pretty amazing. And I was really impressed with what CBT did for my mother. And that's the only perspective I can speak from because there's not enough people out there doing it. So the data is extremely limited. Yeah. And like you always say, Eva, we're not medical professionals or psychologists or anything. We're just sharing our like anecdotal advice and our, our, uh, experiences and stuff like that. So I definitely wanted, wanted to mention that, but is there anything that you would like to say in closing, Dave? No, I think we covered everything. Okay. Well, I appreciate your time and this was very helpful. It's good to get different perspectives and thank you for what you're doing for your mother and, and even for the community by taking time to talk on this podcast and, and to contribute and, and make sure that you're a part of the, uh, the weekly calls, even if it's just setting your mother up. Uh, that that's very helpful for her. She said it's beneficial and and she is a great storyteller and she still has that in her. So she, the story she said inspired me and other people too, how she, how she, uh, you know, deals with her Charles Monet, which I know is not easy. You know, I can only imagine. So thank you. Well, and thanks also to you and Eva for all you're doing for this. Oh, you're welcome. Our pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you. I'm humbled by your your uh, acknowledgement and thank you for being part of the support group. And I hope that you'll continue to be part of our mission to get Charles Benet recognized. I will. And thank you for Absolutely. being gracious enough to share your email in case there's anyone that wants to connect with you. I'll put it in the show notes so people can reach you if they, if they would, would like to contact you. Sounds good.